Welcome to the Converge Challenge podcast. I'm Colin Gray and this time it's all about the next steps. In the last episode, you heard how it felt to go through the final of a business competition and what it meant to win for our four entrepreneurs. But after that win, what next? I want to find out what they did with the money, for example. That seems pretty important. But just as important is the professional advice. You see, winners are matched up with accountants, legal teams, and a lot more. What did our four heroes learn from that in the year following their win? For that matter, what did they learn in general You know, when they took those next steps? Because now, of course, the competition's over. It's time to actually get to work. Time to run that business. And that's when the learning begins in earnest. So let's learn from their experience, from the good ones and the bad ones. Starting with that lifeblood of the business, cash. Whether you get it through a competition, through investment or through a loan, what does that first chunk of cash mean for a new business? Yeah, that cash prize was very important to us. So the cash prize did one of two things. Firstly, it forced us to have to incorporate the company quite quickly because those prize winnings could only go into a company bank account. Uh, and we didn't have a company yet, let alone a company bank account. So that accelerated the... Pro- and it was great because we we could approach the university and say, look, we're going to have to spin this company out quite quickly or else we lose this prize money. I think like a number of the, the people who have come through, um, like we used the cash prize to leverage some R&D funding from Scottish Enterprise. Um, so they have their the Smart Scotland programme that uh, if you can match fund... They will help you with early stage R&D to prove the feasibility of a concept or a later stage prototype. Um, and we really had a, a piece of technology that had come out of a university lab that we knew we needed to uh, ruggedize. We needed to think about how it would scale. We needed to think about how it would be commercially deployed. So I think between all of that, um, you know, having the, the additional funding that we could build a proper team, we could build a, a proper board around the company, a proper management team as well. Um, Converse sort of just allowed us to to do that in terms of the cash price. So Chris, first, using that money as a driver, as a catalyst to start things off. Then we had Adam describing how he got maximum value from that cash. Not only did he use it to fund things directly, but he treated it as an asset to help him get bigger pots of funding later on. Chris continued on a related note. The second benefit is that we then put that money in our piggy bank and we left it and we left it to leverage uh, a subsequent grant that then secured our first purchase order for our laser. Um, So we sat on the prize money for a number of months actually, purposefully not spending it knowing that we could use that money to leverage further funding and further down the line. We won, if I remember rightly, I think it was £7,000 uh, which we then subsequently used to secure, I think it was a £25,000 grant, which then allowed me to pay for at least myself uh, and develop a piece of technology that we were that could then sell to a customer a number of months later. And that was our first purchase order. So without that prize money, we wouldn't have secured that grant and that first purchase order. So £7,000. I mean, when you read about funding rounds in the six or seven figures, that doesn't seem like a lot. But sometimes in a company, even a small amount of money can be make or break. 
So for for us, we were we were just in in New York um, doing Texas, and it was just the time like um, you know wrapping up Texas and start fundraising, and that was for us like a very anxious time. Yeah, you know, we we really enjoyed Texas and it was a great program, but now like the real hard work began, and uh, Converge Challenge really made a difference to us because we were just in that phase where we still had funds in the business, but if we couldn't raise until that specific point, you know, we would have been in trouble and Converge Challenge helped us to actually gain two more months of runway and that um, helped us to close our round. So it was like very valuable for us. Just two months, <laughs> two months worth of bills, salaries and the rest. But a two month gap can close down a business. I mean, when you're short of cash, even a big bill can make the difference. It was huge. I mean, that kind of cash for, for where we were at the stage of the business was transformational. And I think just to look at the, the cash perspective, we then had some difficulties with uh, our designers and the fees came to a lot more than we thought they were going to be. And uh, it was just a horrible uh, time. And if it wasn't for the Converge money, then we would have run out of money. So that was really, really important for us. <laughs> Who'd have thought then? The money's pretty handy. But there's another type of support that's just as vital for any new company. That's advice, guidance, mentorship. I hope we're giving you a good chunk of that here. And I've got some great what I wish I knew advice from our four later too. But Converge winners also get matched up with professional services. What areas did they have to think about when they were ramping up that you'll have to think about too? Yeah, I mean, the in-kind support that we got from the prize money was really, really useful. And one of the best things that we got out of that was through the uh, creative design company was brand guidelines. And so we put that into all of our marketing materials. And I think it just made us look like a much more established business, um, a more credible business. And that's something that without that support, we would have not been able to, to afford to get. So it really gave us that leg up with kind of all of our marketing. Brandon's a funny one because everyone's got a cousin that plays around in Photoshop, but there's a league of difference between a homemade logo and a fully realised brand. A little bit of guidance from a true branding agency goes a long, long way to establishing your credibility. That was great. Um, so we were given access to Morton Ward, who uh, sat down with us and helped us understand the brand that we needed to put together in order for our idea to grow. It's, it's all very well having a great idea, but you need to let people know that, we, that you exist. And then they came up with our brand and our logo, which is, sits very strongly within the community that we work within, which was fantastic. And they really started us to properly understand other aspects of the business that we needed to be thinking about, like sales and marketing. You know, how do you go and market your company so that people know about you? We still work with a number of the, the firms that uh, came as part of the prize package. We, we work with uh, Morton Fraser, who were legal support at the time, I think they still are. Uh, Johnson Carmichael, who were accountancy support at the time. Morton Ward, who do branding and, and uh, messaging support, we work with those guys. And we worked with a guy called Alistair Minty, who still does a lot of the training for the program. And he worked with me specifically for a year or so, mentoring and, and helping really drive the, the commercials of the business and how we wanted to grow it. We had support through lawyers who helped us understand about the legal implications in running your own company. Uh, and that was um, extremely useful. You know, if you're going to start having um, conversations with investors, 
they use a slightly different language than I'm used to. You know, they started talking about term sheets and investment agreements. I haven't got a clue what a term sheet was. Well, I didn't then. Uh, I do now. Uh, and it's so it's those that kind of terminology that the lawyers helped us out with. Now, this is one that terrifies a lot of people. Me for sure. You need to get your legals sorted out. I mean, everything from employment contracts to the terms and conditions for your website. But I'm always afraid that the clock starts ticking as soon as I talk to a lawyer. And rightly or wrongly, they've got that reputation. So getting the chance for some free guidance to start out with, uh, and from a trusted company too, that is gold. It can head off all sorts of problems, (laughs) really expensive ones, if you do that early. So I love the converge and cancel board. Um, so obviously Alistair Minty is still like contact person and he's just like a good person to talk to. Um, he's like a very good sounding board. So I'm a big fan. <laughs> then we, we also got like a new logo from Morton Ward. And that was like an extremely good job, guys. So they told you that <laughs> several times already. Um, very happy about that. And then there was um, in-kind support, like legal support from Martin Fraser. And obviously legal support is, is always good. We had access to an accountant, which was very useful because when you start running a company, um, you soon very quickly learn that cash is very, very important. Um, and so getting a handle on the figures is something that I, I, I suspect is probably still my, my, my largest weakness. But, and that's why I have uh, an accountant who keeps me in line and on track. Another one that people often ignore until it's in such a mess that you can't help but pay to get it fixed. But I can tell you from experience, it's possible to do a whole lot of the money stuff yourself. And actually, there's a big advantage in doing so and understanding it. But you need the guidance up front to get in that position. So if you can get in front of an accountant early, learn the ropes, set up those processes, then you can keep on top of it right from the get-go. That makes for a really strong foundation. Now that covers the finance, the legal, the marketing. That's the things that we know we need to know. But what about the things we don't? One of the first things you learn in the first year is that you haven't a clue what's coming. It's good to prepare, but make sure to prepare for surprises. Yeah, there's lots of things I'm doing now that I didn't expect, lots of things. And that's half the fun, is that no one day is the same. I get a kick out of that, I get a buzz out of that. That's quite fun and exciting. I've been really lucky uh, to have amazing advisors surround me and we've now got a really strong board. So the advice kind of comes on a a daily basis. I think for me and my personality type, it's not rushing into anything. And I have a habit of making a decision, thinking it's the best thing since sliced bread, and then just acting on it. Whereas I've got all these amazing people around me. I need to take the time to ask what they think and get much more insight from other people um, before rushing into that. So that's been good advice to make sure that I'm, I'm using all the resources that I've got around me. Rebecca talks about this as a weakness, but to me, it's also a strength. A lot of companies miss chances by being too slow, by procrastinating. I've heard it said, a decent decision now is better than a perfect decision that comes too late. There's a balance, of course, and Rebecca's point there is great. Use all the resources you have to make the best decision, and often that includes people who've done it before. 
but don't use that to avoid your own responsibility or to delay things. Sometimes it's okay to go with your gut. Secondly, I have a habit of taking what the last person said as, oh, that's a really great idea. And then I'll speak to somebody else and they'll say something different. And I think, yeah, I'm really wowed by your argument. I actually think that's a really great idea. So it's taking everybody's pieces of advice and then evaluating it all to come up with my own conclusion rather than, again, I guess just rushing in and taking the last thing that that I thought was good and taking that as as a truth. That is another brilliant nugget from Rebecca there. In your first year, you'll get tons of advice, a lot of which won't agree with each other. So it's a great skill to be able to distill the info, to evaluate it with a clear head, and to begin to see what fits best into your own business. I mean, there's the old mantras that always come up, cash is king, (laughs) every pound's a prisoner, and that's always really important to any early stage company. Um, I think generally, though, the... The more the more generic advice would be just you know focus on the customer, focus on what the customer wants. Gordon was fantastically good during our proof of concept at saying just guys, this is great tech that you're developing. It's clearly very clever. Picture me as a customer. I don't care. I actually just want to know what it does for me. So why don't you tell me about that? I mean, it's fair to say we've had a couple of misses. The end of this month will be we've been trading five years. So if you haven't done something wrong at that time, you've probably done something wrong. You know, sometimes things fall between cracks. Um, but I think just making sure that we have that um, detailed analysis of, of what's going on at all times in terms of how we're delivering stuff, how we're making sure the customers are happy, how we're assessing that, how we're getting their feedback, how we're continually supporting those that we continue to work with. All of that just becomes more and more important. So it's just really making sure you're, you're on the ball at all times, I think. It's funny how often it comes back to this, talking to your customers. Adam told me, even when things are going really well for them, they still do this every week, checking customers are happy that they're getting everything that they want. Because often, by the time you notice things have started to go sideways, it's far too late. Talking of speaking to customers, what about those earlier stages? You know, when those customers aren't quite in yet. There's also just learning when when you're out selling, when a no is a no. Um, no one likes to say no to you. A no is fantastic, a no is brilliant, and maybe it's killed companies, frankly. But uh, I guess just learning over time, when you're talking to someone who may be very, very interested, but just may not be able to move things forward for budgetary reasons or doesn't fit in with their timing or whatever, you know, just learning to pick up on that is really important. Um, the sooner you can do that, the sooner you can focus your efforts on real opportunities that could move forward. I love this. Get to the no as quick as you can. A no is great if it's a really true no because it means you've done your best and that means you can move on to better prospects instead. Another place where no is a good thing is when you learn to say no to the wrong things or even just the not quite right things. I think as I touched on before it was the biggest learning curve that I've had in my thinking is all about like focus that a business needs to have like laser focus in who their target market is exactly what the personas of the people that they are trying to to reach are and making sure that everything is really integrated so you know exactly who you're targeting you know exactly how you need to target them and that you've got a product that exactly meets their needs 
And once you've kind of nailed that to your beachhead market, then you can start to expand it and then go for scale. But to start off with, you just need to be focused to get that first amount of traction. So that was probably my biggest learning curve. I think we've become better at focus, actually. I think I would say maybe a year ago, we were exploring a number of different leads. Um, the focus issue came up uh, and we did need to maybe step back from some of them and say, actually, for now, let's just focus on what we know. Let's just really move on with electricity utilities, get some established customer relationships on the go, um, and then we can grow from there. I think now the way we're looking to do it is maybe a bit smarter. Another thing to say no to are other people's expectations. Just don't buy into those common vanity metrics. I mean, in the olden days, success was often measured by the size of your team. But on that note, Suzanne told me about one area she wished she'd said no to. Hiring people too early. Um, So, you know, specifically when you have cash in the bank, you think, oh my God, I'm hiring people. I have a team of 10. That's awesome. Um, It's not, you know, more money, more problems, more people, more problems. And we took a step back, downsized, which what you shouldn't do, actually, but it was the right step for us to do. And also, you know, specifically hiring a salesperson too early. Um, That was like the biggest mistake we've done because nobody of us wanted to do sales. Um, Now I'm probably, I became an extremely good salesperson. You know, stepping out of your comfort zone. um, It sucks at the beginning, but you will be rewarded. When it comes down to it, we can't learn at all. Like Chris mentioned earlier, every day's different. It's all a surprise. And if that's the case, well, there's one particular thing we need to get really good at. What I've learned is that Toronto Company is just problem solving. Um, you know, if we run out of money, that's a problem. We have to go and solve that problem by going to secure more money. If I've got a distribution agreement that I don't like, that's a problem. And I need to run a negotiation phase to solve that problem. Um, if I've got a problem with an employee, I need to sit them down and, and have a chat with them to solve that problem and come to some sort of understanding with that person. So if it's all problem solving, does Chris think that studying or working in a university is good training for this? Yes, absolutely. I've been doing, I've been doing that for years, problem solving and, and carrying out research. You know, a lot of what I do now still involves a lot of research and a lot of grunt work. It's just I'm no longer looking at technical papers. I'm looking at um, commercial contracts and legal agreements. Or I'm off a conference and exhibition or expo looking at the latest technology from someone else and looking at and trying to understand how that works. With that, of course, comes a lot of pressure. You're the leader, the figurehead, often the one that everybody else throws their problems at. When a problem can't be solved elsewhere, it comes right to you. Is that okay? I quite enjoy the responsibility of running my own company. That's one thing that wasn't, that didn't come across in that you're going to develop your ideas and if you take the position of managing director or CEO, you will become responsible, well, not only for your idea, but for the people that will be developing your idea for you. I quite enjoy that, but it does sit on your shoulders quite heavily at times particularly when you start running short of money. And because I feel a responsibility to my employees, um, I want this company to do well, I want it to succeed, and that includes the people that work within it. I want them to do well, I want them to succeed. 
uh, those kind of ideas weren't um, put across to me in the very early days. That's something I've had to learn as the company has grown and developed. And I think that's something that's really hard to explain too until it actually happens to you. But hopefully Chris got across a little of the weight there. So that's us, nearly the end of the story. Just for now, of course, we'll be back for more in future. But we're going to say goodbye to Adam, Rebecca, Chris and Suzanne today. Before we do that, though, I want to find out what's next for them. Where are they and their companies heading? I think we're at a really exciting stage now since winning the Converge Challenge, we've raised nearly a million pound of investment, we've built a really strong team, there's eight of us now, and we've further developed our product range. So we had our PR marketing launch uh, earlier this month, and we're now at the point where we are just ready for customers. So all about looking for the right customers, um, following our marketing and our sales strategy to really just scale the business. We're at a really exciting stage of the models. We've commercialized the tech, um, we're at the point now where we're starting to offer uh, real software as a service solutions. The question for us now becomes where can we take this? We have an awful lot of opportunity in electricity but equally we can see some really exciting leads and prospects in other markets but uh, yeah it's an exciting time. Many of the Converge winners end up on this road. It's the traditional high-growth startup path. That means bringing in funding, growing a big team, changing your office as often as you do your shoes. It's not the only way, though, or the best for everyone. But it can work well in a lot of the fast-moving tech companies that are coming out of Scotland right now. We, we took on £400,000 worth of investment two months ago, and we're at the stage of moving and growing the team. I want to bring on board a financial director because we're really wanting to ramp up the scale of the company over the next 12 to 18 months really. Right now it's all about growth in terms of users and also revenue. It goes hand in hand. The more users we have, the more money we can make. Scale. That's the holy grail for many. Attract millions to your vision of users, of revenue, of profit and building that worldwide brand. A company that changes the world. And that's the crazy thing. We've actually seen that done in our lifetime. And far shorter than our lifetime, really. And by students in their dorm rooms. So, anything's possible. With the right idea. If that's your aim, then Converge is a brilliant first step. Nip over to convergechallenge.com to find out more about the competition and to speak to the team about your idea. Thanks again for listening to the show. That finishes up our first series of four episodes, but we'll be back for more in future. Get in touch with the Converge team to let us know what you'd like to hear more of on the next season. If you've enjoyed the season, make sure you subscribe so you get future episodes automatically. Just search Converge Challenge on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you really enjoyed it, the best thing you can do to help us help more people is review and rate the show in the same place. The show was created by thepodcasthost.com for the Converge Challenge. And many thanks to our four entrepreneurs who provided the advice and the stories on this episode. You heard Adam Brown, Chris Leyburn, Susanna Mitchk and Rebecca Pick. And the show was narrated by me, Colin Gray. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you out there. <laughs>